It's Tuesday, January 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The next big immigration move that the Trump administration will be taking is action to tackle birth tourism. Birth tourists often come to the United States from China, Russia, and Nigeria to have their children so they can have U.S. citizenship. New regulations would alter the requirements for B visas, also known as visitor visas. One key thing to watch out for will be any lawsuits that could be filed against the changes. Steph Kite, immigration reporter at Axios, joins us for how the administration plans to limit birth tourism. Next, the New York Times has made an endorsement for 2020. Actually, they made two endorsements. The Democratic Party as a whole has not made a decision where it wants to go, a more progressive route or more moderate. So, breaking with convention, the New York Times editorial board has decided to endorse both Senator Amy Klobuchar as a moderate choice and Senator Elizabeth Warren as a more progressive choice. Democratic voters must decide which model they want to go with that would have the best chance of beating President Trump and moving the country forward. To help explain this decision, we speak to Mara Gray from the New York Times editorial board. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And the Democrats want to continue giving automatic birthright citizenship to every child born to an illegal alien. Even if they've been on our soil for only a matter of seconds. Hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrant children are made automatic citizens every year. Because of this crazy policy. Joining us now is Steph Kite, immigration reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Steph. Thanks for having me. We know that immigration is one of the top priorities for the Trump administration. The new thing coming pretty soon might be action on birth tourism. This is whole notion that people are getting visas coming over to the United States, having their children here so that they are automatically citizens and then sometimes they go back to their home countries. Sometimes they stay here. There's all sorts of different things that happen at that point. But, mm -hmm. uh, Steph, tell us a little bit about what action the administration is going to be taking on this front. So as soon as this week, we're expecting the administration to roll out a new regulation. This is coming from the State Department. And what the regulation would do, it would change the requirements for applicants of a B visa, which is a short-term visitor visa. It's the visa that tourists would use or people coming here for a business meeting or, or short-term business needs. And what they'll do is they'll change the visa requirements so that it does not include birth tourism, meaning that State Department officials who are looking at visa applications, if they think that they're being used for birth tourism for coming here just to have a kid, then they would be able to deny that visa. And the specifics of how exactly they plan to enforce that is unclear still, but the fact that they're planning to make it clear that this is not allowed on these types of visas is a significant step forward. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be an interesting thing to see how they plan to implement it. Like, if you're pregnant, do you automatically get denied? That's going to be interesting. Also, I know that there's travel agencies, I guess maybe you can call them, in other countries that organize for a lot of these women to come over here. I, I mm -hmm. live in California. There was a, a city out here in Southern California where there was a big bust a few years ago of like an apartment complex where it was nothing but women from China that were doing this with the express purpose of having their children here in the States. And it was set up with like a travel agency, all this stuff. It was like mm -hmm. a business that was going on in China. So I know China is one of the main countries that does this. What other countries are we looking at with regards to people that are doing a lot of this birth tourism? 
Yeah, we do see a lot of birth tourists coming from China, as you mentioned, and also from Russia and Nigeria. Those are three common countries where we see people coming from. And one interesting point, given what you just explained, is it'll be interesting to see how the administration tries to differentiate these type of birth tourism schemes where there's a company, a business for the express purpose of having people come to the U.S. to have their kids, differentiating that from tourists who just happen to be pregnant or someone who already had a visa and is now coming to the U.S. and happens to get pregnant down the line and have their child here. So that's what I'm really watching to see how they plan to differentiate between those two types of having kids in the U.S. on visas. And like with most things that happen in the Trump administration on their major immigration moves, We probably will expect for there to be lawsuits. They're really trying to test the limits, really, of what they can do in this arena. That's kind of the way everything's been playing out. You know, go pretty extreme on some type of action, let it work its way through the courts, and then something kind of in the middle, they'll they'll still get something that they want out of it. We certainly have not seen the Trump administration shy away questioning legal limits on issues of immigration. And so we, we do expect, if this does roll out, there to be some kind of a lawsuit. And when I spoke to Lee about kind of whether this would would hold up in court, they really said that one of the issues is it's very difficult to challenge on behalf of foreigners who are outside of the U.S. and who do not yet have visas. It's very difficult to challenge a rule that would impact them before they're in the U.S. They don't have a lot of good legal standing in the U.S. This is part of a broader action by the administration on immigration. You know, everybody made a big deal about the border wall, and that was just a central part of the administration, what they wanted to get done. But they've been successful on so many other fronts. The attempted Mm -hmm. border crossings are falling. Denial rates for people trying to claim asylum are rising. It's this kind of cycle right now where immigrants coming from uh, you know Honduras and Guatemala are being sent back mm-hmm. to other countries and uh, Mexicans are being sent back to some of these Central American countries. So really it is working a lot of these actions that the administration has been taking to keep people from trying to claim asylum in the, in the United States. It certainly is seeming like these policies are having the effects that the administration hoped it would. And one thing that's interesting to note is, you know, the idea of the wall, the physical border wall, was to keep immigrants out. And the Trump administration has managed to be able to get more funds from the Defense Department. They'll be able to use those to continue building a physical wall. But all of these policies really do work in a sense like an invisible wall, keeping immigrants out of the country, keeping asylum seekers in particular out of the country, forcing them back into Mexico under the Remain in Mexico policy. And now pushing them back to these other Central American countries where they did not originally come from through these asylum agreements. Some of these numbers are pretty amazing. More than 50,000 Central American asylum seekers have been forced to wait out their cases in Mexico. This is under the Migrant Protection Protocols, the Remain Mm -hmm. in Mexico program. There's only been 117 people that have been granted asylum through this and more than Mm -hmm. 15,000 have been given orders of removal. So just talking about the effectiveness of these programs so far. As you pointed out, even when people are going through the MPP program, when they are going through the remain in Mexico policy, we're seeing extremely low approval rates of their asylum claims. Most of them are getting denied or there have been many cases that have been reported where people have been unable to get to the courthouse that they need to get to, or they're unclear of what time they're supposed to show up at court. And that impacts an immigrant's ability to claim asylum too, because they're being kept in different countries 
when they're being kept in Mexico, it makes it more difficult for them to make sure they show up to the right courthouse, make sure that they have a lawyer. All of these things work against the asylum seeker's ability to actually be granted asylum at the end of the day. Steph Kite, immigration reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. Joining us now is Mara Gay with the New York Times editorial board. Thanks for joining us, Mara. Thanks for having me. The New York Times did an interesting thing in a break from what you guys usually do there. The editorial board has chosen to endorse two separate Democratic candidates for president. Those are Senator Amy Klobuchar and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Mara, tell us why you guys broke from the norm. Why did you guys decide to pick two? And from reading the piece, it really seems that because the Democratic Party has two different visions, that that's the reason why you guys went that way. Basically picking the best person for each vision that the party has that they need to figure out. The party needs to figure this out. We are dealing with a large field of Democrats, first of all, and there do seem to be two visions within the Democratic Party. There are those who believe that Donald Trump is an aberration and, in fact, that moderation is required here and that you can not go back to business as usual necessarily, but that you don't really need fundamental change. And I would say that's the kind of the Biden Klobuchar wing of the party. And then you also have those who are sometimes just more liberal, we would say, but just who believe that institutions are either broken in the country or that there's just more fundamental change that is required here and that Trump is a symptom of a much deeper problem. And that would be the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing of the party. And it's been a little frustrating to see the debate in the Democratic Party over the past couple of months because we really do think that there's far more that Democrats have in common then divides them. And so this was our way of, first of all, narrowing the field and singling out two extremely impressive candidates who we believe deserved voters special attention. And they happen to be two women, which is that's an exciting thing as well. The only two women in the right. race at this point. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is really trying to pull back a little bit and break this log jam of the way that voters are thinking about the election in the Democratic Party. I think there's been a sense for a long time that Democrats just want to beat Trump. And I think that's probably spot on. But the question of how to do that, I think it's actually more complicated than folks would want to imagine. There's not just one way forward. And that's what we're trying to reflect here. I think Joe Biden, by the way, the former vice president, this was not a snub to him. This is not about Joe Biden. But it is important for us to say that we really looked at the field and we don't believe that Joe Biden is the only path forward. And this was really a way to highlight two of the candidates who we think stand out from the pack and deserve the attention of voters. There's so much at stake with this next election, and that's why there's so much uncertainty. That's why we get a bunch of articles and write-ups about people just so unsure who the right person would be to either beat the president and still carry the vision forward, you know, to move the country forward, even with polls. That's why there's such a tightening in the polls. People are just not sure who the right person is going to be. And you guys mentioned in the editorial also, you know, 
People want new ideas now. They want this progressive side, but people also want this stability. That's why they might want to go with a moderate. And all this stuff causes a lot of uncertainty. Okay, so let's narrow down a little bit more. Let's start with Elizabeth Warren. Why is she the pick for Democrats looking for a more progressive vision? The thing I found most compelling about Senator Warren is that she has spent her entire lifetime studying working families and working Americans and how to help improve their lives. I really believe that this is an election that is not only about beating Donald Trump, but it's also about saving the American middle class and just the sheer notion of the opportunity that the country is supposed to provide for all who work hard. Of course, it's never quite lived up to that, but we're really heading in the wrong direction when you look at income inequality in the country. And Elizabeth Warren's plans, which certainly are very progressive, are reflective of somebody who really deeply understands that fundamentally the system and and the democracy and its institutions are not really working the way they should for working Americans, for most Americans. It's interesting, actually, because I think that if you ask Senator Warren about the left moderate divide in the Democratic Party, she really doesn't see it that way. What she sees is that she is somebody who believes the Democratic Party should speak to income inequality in a very radical way. And we agree with her, which is why she has our endorsement. And it's not half of an endorsement. It's a full endorsement. And Senator Klobuchar has a different way to address the same problem. But I think it's notable that both of them really deeply understand the crisis that the American middle class is in and the crisis that can be provoked in a country when you have vast levels of income inequality. And I think those are the two best, most serious candidates. How important was Bernie Sanders to this conversation? Because after President Barack Obama left office and we had Hillary Clinton coming into the scene and obviously Bernie Sanders, I remember being at the convention and it was split, maybe more Bernie Sanders supporters. So he really kind of kicked off this far left progressive thing back then. But it seems like Senator Elizabeth Warren this time around, while Bernie does have a lot of enthusiasm behind him, she has a lot more enthusiasm. Senator Sanders has, I think, provided an invaluable contribution to the country and to the Democratic Party, even though he wasn't traditionally a Democrat, right? By really being among the first to prominently raise these issues of inequality and of some of the fundamental change that is likely needed, that we believe is needed. And we just happen to think this time around that Senator Warren is the best bearer, the best person to carry that torch in this election. And frankly, part of that is because of her record as a pragmatist. She does have a record in government. She's, by the way, a former Republican who is a convert to the Democratic Party and is from the Midwest and has a sense for what, for example, her brothers who are Republican are thinking. I think that's impressive and that impressed us. But then also her policy proposals are extremely detailed in a way that really made us feel confident that she not only has her heart in the right place, but really understands what it's going to take and the deal-making it's going to take to get policies done. And the same thing is true of, of Senator Klobuchar. Let's focus on Senator Amy Klobuchar a little more now. You guys said that she has emerged as the standard bearer for the Democratic Center. She can be a real deal maker. 
And she's the most productive senator of the bunch that's in there right now. I mean, she's had the most bills passed in that sense of, of it. She's selling herself as a deal maker, but unlike President Trump, she can actually back that up. And she understands how to get things done in a bipartisan way where possible. But like Senator Warren, she is a fighter. They're both fighters. They're both willing to stand up when they need to, but they're willing to compromise and make a deal when it is an interest of the American people to do so. The other thing that attracted us to Senator Klobuchar is the fact that she has won so many elections in areas of the country that are not necessarily very liberal. She talks about being able to campaign in the Iron Range, for example, of northern Minnesota. She polls very well with men, which is in an unusual way for a female candidate. She's somebody who's got a certain kind of Midwestern charm, but also toughness. And I think she and Senator Warren share that there's actually far more in common between them than than you might think. Okay, so we have these two endorsements, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Amy Klobuchar. Talk to us a little bit more about the choice that Democrats need to make with the future of the party. As I mentioned before, we had President Barack Obama. Everybody rallied around him and the vision. And after that, the party really seemed lost. Nobody really knew which way to go. And there really hasn't been a star in that sense to unite everybody. Having met all of the Democratic candidates or nearly all of them at this point, I walked away with a sense that not only is there far more that unites all of these Democrats, I mean, the policy platforms are startlingly similar yeah, this year, with some notable exceptions on health care and some other issues. But I think Democrats, voters and candidates alike, we just hope that they're able to take a step back and really open their minds and rethink the notion of electability and who is electable. I think there is a desperation and a very understandable one among Democrats in this country and some others to replace a president who they rightly see as a threat to democracy. And there is a sense of deep concern and in some cases despair about how to do that. And so that has led a lot of voters, and particularly black voters, older black voters, to want to look for the quote-unquote safe choice. So the former vice president, Joe Biden, who, by the way, has a lot to offer, but is also a very familiar candidate, he has been the standard bearer for that line of thinking. And I'm kind of of the belief that any of these candidates could actually beat Donald Trump if Democrats show up to the polls and if Americans do the right thing by protecting the vote. And so I think that this endorsement was also a way to kind of hopefully get people to rethink what it means when we talk about electability. There's more than one way to get to the White House. There's more than one way to build a winning coalition here. And I think it's a good inflection point, you know, to kind of cut through all of the infighting within the Democratic Party and step back and recognize that at some point the Democrats need to coalesce around one candidate. And any of these candidates are impressive, but we believe that Senators Warren and Klobuchar are the most impressive and the strongest. Mara Gay with the New York Times editorial board. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.